As a consultant, how can you get potential clients to pay attention when there are so many other thought leaders publishing content all the time? Start your own interview podcast and invite your ideal clients onto it. Learn more at spotlightpodcasting.com. So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting, the show that brings you interviews with experts in the trenches at the forefront of consulting, sharing their own perspectives, tips, and resources they've picked up along the way for your benefit. On this episode, we're joined by Gary L. Melling, who is the president and CEO of Acquired Insights, an artificial, an artificial intelligence and machine learning company bringing disruptive cross-industry, cross-functional solutions to market. Um, his expertise has been leveraged by organizations and clients, including NASA and the US Federal Reserve Bank. So two pretty well-known names there. <laughs> and uh, Gary has over 40 years of experience working in classified military defense systems, global enterprise management consulting, corporate transformations and turnarounds, business systems integrations, and predictive analytics. So Gary, thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure, Jonathan. Yes, great to have you on. Um, so, Gary, um, I would love it if you could uh, kick us off with a unique approach, tip, tool, or strategy that you think other consultants in B2B should really know about. Maybe they don't already. Well, uh, just thinking about uh, my experiences, I, I think one of the things that consultants, I th think it's just part of the human condition and career progression as we go through our careers, it's it's very common to see people specialize more narrowly in a particular field, and I think at some point they they can they run the risk of losing uh, the bigger picture. And if you're designing solutions, if you're a business architect, a, a software architect, if you're involved in process design or organizational change management, leadership strategy, it's, it's first of all, always good, of course, to begin designing with the end in mind. But, but don't forget that while you have a specialty in one area, the, the need to go out and validate that approach with other colleagues in, in complementary or siloed activities that are in somehow related uh, down the path is really important. So taking a systems approach, I guess, would, would be something I would suggest that most consultants start with. But uh, over time, their careers sometimes fall into the trap of becoming too specialized. So uh, I've seen that several times and I've been aware of it myself. So. So if I, if I was to sort of paraphrase that, what I'm hearing is specialization can sometimes lead to people just going through the motions of a process without really necessarily thinking about things holistically and what are all the factors involved that, and all the variables that change from, you know, one project or one client to the other. Is that a good way of Absolutely. And, and I think, too, what we see is that a lot of times people think that technology is the solution. I've been working in technology for a very long time, and technology is certainly an enabler, no question. But as far as it being the solution, I, I think what I realized earlier in my career is that, and this was after going through hundreds and hundreds of projects and looking at project notes and plans and budgets and all kinds of things, um, if an organization is engaged in some kind of a project, I found that, uh, and this is more anecdotal than anything else, uh, if, a, if an organization's investing between about 22 and 24% of their 
overall program or project budget in organizational change management, they have an exceedingly high degree of opportunity to succeed in that project. We're seeing about 70% of the technical projects are either abject failures or partially failure. And what seems to mitigate that is the organizational change management, the OCM side of it. So this is what I mean when I say people can become myopic, myopic to the point that they're focusing on the technology, but at the same time, they're not really understanding how the people are going to use the technology. What kind of traditional questions will they have? Will this affect my job? Will it affect my pay? Will it affect my hours? Will it affect my benefits? I mean, these are questions that are generated from the human condition. And when we can bundle those up in our communication and presentation uh, with any kind of a project, it, it seems to warrant a much higher degree of probability of success. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It is very easy to fixate on the technological side of things, but it's quite mm -hmm. interesting to hear you come from that perspective from, you know, being someone behind providing solutions around artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, most people might not expect someone to think of the really the humane side of of these things. I'm curious, have you developed that approach? Is it something that changed over time? Is there, were there any kind of light bulb moments where you're like, huh, okay, or, or kind of illustrative experiences that you had that made you kind of step back and go? Actually, that's a great question. I, um, I was on an engagement with a, a national bank uh, with an international presence, and we were basically redesigning uh, all their commercial operations. And this was because uh, in Canada here at that time, uh, four major national banks were going to merge into two banks. And so many of the large consulting firms of which I was at one um, were in, in doing all kinds of work in preparing for these mergers, which by the way, in the end never happened. But the short version is that as I was sitting across the project room, one of the things that a lot of the, the larger firms do is they buddy you up with a client. So while you may be on a project representing the firm and you have objectives and milestones and goals and so on, you also typically have one, two, three, four individuals within the client, and it's your responsibility to manage that individual. And when I say manage, I mean, for all the right reasons, there's nothing Machiavellian. It's about trying to get the project to be at the right milestones on the right date for the right cost. I was working with one of my buddies, so to speak, and um, he was starting to get, after about two weeks on the project, he was starting to do things like um, schedule a meeting, but not show, which happens, you know, we're all people, we've got all kinds of things, but, but this became habitual. And uh, we also were in a situation where uh, a meeting would be scheduled in a particular location, and he would want to be at the meeting, but was concerned that if I was there, I might expose him, whatever that meant. This is a gentleman who was a year and a half away from retirement, uh, very highly thought of in the organization, and just wanted to exit with grace. He, he wasn't looking to you know, stand on a hill and you know, die on a flag or anything like that. He simply wanted to get through the project. Uh, but he was he was actually starting to undermine the success of the project. He didn't know it, and he wasn't doing it deliberately. It was just more of a human reaction to being insecure about where all this was going. So one day, uh, one one week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, I watched him, and every day at ten to five, I could watch him with with like timing on my watch. At ten to five, he would look at the clock. He would jump up out of his desk, put his jacket on, fold up his computer, and run off to the train to go home. And so after two or three days of this, I figured out his pattern and I decided what I, I was going to be ready. So when he was ready to go out the door, I bolted out the door with him 
And let's just say his name was Mike. So I said, Mike, listen, uh, I understand you're on the way to the Union Station. Do you mind if I go with you? So we took the subway down to Union Station. Yeah. Now, that particular day, I was headed west and he was headed east. But what I did is I used that as an opportunity to get to know him so much better. And when we got to Union Station, instead of going west, I went east with him. And I told him I was going to visit a brother of mine out in the East End. And that allowed us to have another about 20 minutes of conversation. And in the conversation, I basically, in a very quiet but responsible way, I said to him, Mike, listen, I know you're having some apprehensions about the project. I want you to understand from me, my personal guarantee to you is to never let you be exposed, to never let you be in a position where anyone would would uh, think less of you or your reputation within the bank. I want you to know that if you have any issues, you can come to me any time of the day. By the way, here's my cell phone number. You know, I'm accessible all the time. And and that kind of started, it, it was wonderfully successful. And and the following day, you know, he was a bit wary, but we started working much more as a collaborative team. And when I could demonstrate, it was not just my words, because my words were a bit odd for he'd never had a consultant approach mm, him like that. Right. Um, and then on my actions supported what I said, I realized I think I'm onto something here. And that's why I really began to focus much more on the organizational change management and the people side of these very, very large enterprise implementations and solutions. I love that. And and I'm curious in that example there, I mean, it's a combination of several things, right? It's like being able to talk to someone outside of the work environment in a, mm -hmm. in a sort of a slightly more safe space where they don't have to be wary of who's overhearing or, or what, and actually having that quality time with people. Was there any like critical factor? Was it, was it just a combination of the right environment, the way that you were, you were talking to him or what, like, I'm curious if there was anything that was, that really kind of brought him over to your side or like, I think. Um, he was in a position as a very senior person from the client side on the project where mm. he had a, a tremendous amount of responsibility, but he had questionable authority. And whenever you're put in that position, you have to work on an influence model. It's not about directing people and telling them what to do. It's about winning their mind share so that you, you, when they can drop those defenses, you're, you're in a position where you can have honest communication. And, and I'm going to suggest that in the current business environment globally, probably the rarest uh, attribute you can find in business these days is truth and honesty. So when, when someone actually takes you aside and and has a conversation with you in a way that is not, it's not belittling. It's not, you know, it's trying, it's really trying to help. It's, it's almost that Jerry Maguire model, you know, help me help you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think when people really hear the honesty of what you're trying to do and how you're there to support them, most people often feel, especially in these large engagements, that, that they're part of a, a large flood of activity that they have very little or absolutely no control over. And even senior people, a senior management are getting uh, dictated their activities from the C-suite. So regardless of where you are on the political ladder uh, or the organizational ladder, um, it's important to recognize that above and beyond the tasks, uh, this whole thing is matrix. There are dotted lines uh, between people and organizations. So much business gets done beside the water cooler 
or, you know, I'm not a, so much a golfer, but uh, yeah. at professional sports events and so on. Uh, this is where you really do get a chance to call someone aside and, and in a very gentle, uh, unassuming way, communicate with them what you're really trying to do. And, and if you can do that with integrity and you can follow that up with action quickly, um, I just found it, it's it's huge in, in the success, the efficiency, and the effectiveness of working through a project with people because they really know at that point that you have their backs. Yeah. Yeah. I love that how you, uh, you identified that opportunity to have a slightly more informal conversation. And obviously, like you say, you know, there's the water cooler, there's the cigarette breaks, which is, can be difficult if you don't smoke, but... Um, that's where a lot of the, uh, you know, interest, inter more interesting discussions often happen or in the, you know, in the cafeteria, wherever it may be, obviously, you know, in virtual settings. And now that lots of people are working from home, a lot of that work, which is actually kind of the, some of the most important parts of consulting engagements and being in, going in and understanding the culture is, is kind of gone. But I'm curious, like, do you, I mean, you mentioned sort of golf, but are there any other ways that you've identified or, or just, yeah, just like good ways of being able to have more of those kind of informal conversations that you've identified. One of the things that I regularly do, and, and I'm just in the process of a campaign now, is we yeah. have postcards that we send out to, to people. Uh, other things I'll do is I'll see an article uh, that'll come across from my email and I'll think, you know what, you know, Jim or Mike or Bob or Susan or whoever, uh, we were talking about that not just that long yeah. ago, and and I'll just uh, subject line you know saw this and thought of you. Very very simple with a link uh, doesn't need to be a huge onerous activity, uh, but I find that it it just keeps that personal touch keep it keeps it moving. Yeah yeah absolutely. So building building good relationships that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, something that we've we've also. Um, you know, previously discussed is um, related to this is sort of the people kind of, you know, passing the buck on the hard decisions that need to be made, especially sort of at a more, more of a leadership level. And I'm curious, like how you see this sort of manifest itself inside large organizations and what measures are, you know, can people put in place to prevent this from, from happening? I think um, people who are successful, if, if, you've, if you've been 30, 35, 40 years into a career, and, and let's kind of parallel a couple of ideas at the same time. So for someone who's longstanding in their career, they've been successful. They, they anticipate their, well, up until recently with, with all kinds of resets and great resignation and all kinds of things that are happening globally. Um, but people as part of the human condition, as, as people advance in their careers, it's not uncommon for someone to want to try to leave a legacy. They want to be known for something. And, and if you care about your fellow workers and if you care about the organization that you work with and, and, that in and of itself is a is a tough topic because frankly a lot of employees just don't care it's it's commoditized it's a paycheck and if they can get a better paycheck somewhere else they will and you know whether it's um, uh, the traditional issues of why employees leave whether it's their manager or the culture or whatever it is 
uh, lack of tra- advancement opportunities, not supported in training and development. There, there's some very standard things that happen. But, but as you mature in your career, what I've found is that very often because people um, executive senior management want to leave on a positive note. They, they want to be able to be part of a conversation six months after they've left the organization. Oh, remember when Gary was here or remember when Jonathan was here? We used to da, 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 da. And they want it to be for all the right reasons. They want it to be for accomplishments and, and, and what was happening in the organization, what problems arose and how they solved it. The challenge with that today, right right now, and over the last, I would say, couple of years especially, has been with everything that's been going on in the world, the knowledge and experience that a 35 or 40-year uh, executive acquired wasn't built on making decisions about artificial intelligence. It wasn't built, made on decisions about machine learning or, or uh, looking at different constructs and business partnerships and joint ventures. And uh, often we're, we're pushing the envelope in so many different areas now. And so it's very common for, as part of the human condition that when we get into something that's a little bit uncomfortable, that we kind of hunker down and revert back to what we feel we know and we can depend on and is comfortable. And in these days and times, I think one of the things that's happening with many senior managers and executives um, is that they're forgetting that that there's a much bigger picture here. They're, they're forgetting that by, by taking the, the quote-unquote safe path and not making a decision, that that's a safer decision, when, when at the same time, they could be judged for not taking action, for not doing something that led to transformation in the organization that may have given them better defensibility of business continuity. It could be opening up new markets, new lines of business, uh, new services. Uh, so there are so many other aspects, and, and I think people have just become so numb to the frequency and volume of communications they're receiving. Uh, we're, we're, we're targets for marketing 24 hours a day, and it's really important to kind of be, under, be able to understand which are the ones that are important to you and which ones can you filter out. And I always say that, you know, when, when you're very clear on what your mission is, and I, I come from having worked in the military as well and, and being a program manager at Combat Systems Engineering Division for the Navy, and these are mission-critical environments. So you have to make decisions. And a decision can be life enabling or it can have negative consequences. So um, when when I see people for a variety of different reasons, maybe it's lack of confidence or they don't feel they have enough information. If you're just open and honest and say, you know what, based on the information we have right now, and and this is where we are and this is where we want to go, we're going to make the following decision. We're going to review it in 30 days, 60 days, whatever the time frame is. But be open and honest and, and don't try to come across as someone that has all the answers and it can only be this one way. Uh, sometimes the most radical, innovative, disruptive, and beneficial ideas come from people who have no experience in your industry at all. They're, they're just they're offering you some advice or some comments, some commentary, and, and I think it's important to, to know when to listen. And when you're truly focused, it is so easy to spot a distraction. So focus is important. And I just, I think a lot of people struggle with creating the focus that they need. Yeah. What, what, what you described to me um, reminds me of a book uh, called Who Says Elephants Can't Dance? Um, it's, have you heard of it before? 
No, but I love the title. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a really interesting book. It's written by uh, a chap called Louis Gerstner. I'm probably butchering his name, um, but he was CEO of IBM, and he was brought in, and he was from outside of the computer industry. But they they felt like they needed uh, you know fresh blood, someone with new ideas in the in the role of CEO, and he he basically had to his job was to really transition IBM and, and change the the culture and the competitiveness. And it's a very, it's a very sort of honest and uh, quite insightful uh, read. Yeah. Just sort of a firsthand account of a CEO who just was trying to try, you know, change this behemoth basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of speaks to, you know, what you're saying about leadership, just, you know, making those easy decisions and, and how that can be, change by just bringing in someone with some fresh perspective and some new ideas, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's interesting as well. I've seen, I've seen another thing that, um, you know, as, as this relates to sort of the inertia that you find in companies as well, I've seen what some, uh, companies do is leadership will actually deliberately make the company internally, internally competitive where you actually have departments kind of at war with each other. Um, and it creates, creates this rather interesting dynamic coming in as, uh, you know, an outside consultant where, you know, one department won't talk to the other and you're kind of that person in the middle ground. Um, but it's interesting mm-hmm. because it actually, oftentimes it makes the company more of an interesting, you know, place to work, uh, that's dynamic and where people are motivated and that kind of thing. Have you noticed any interesting dynamics like that? Basically, um, most clients, m- most organizations, despite the the brand and the money they put in marketing and their annual reports and all the wonderful things they say, it's it's rare that you truly, truly, truly find a company that is everything and more of what it purports to be. And it's just it's like that Facebook syndrome. You know, I hope you're as happy in real life as you pretend to be on Facebook, kind of thing. Most organizations have, uh, they're still going through growing pains. That's part of the dynamics of business. It's just natural. It's its not whether or not the issues are there. It's how they're being addressed. It's who's being called in. It's what kind of visibility you're giving to them. So, yes, I, I do see a lot of times, uh, sometimes I'll just walk into an organization and I'm i am wonderfully refreshed when I see that they're actually doing what they purport to do, what they advertise through their shareholders and and their their uh, publications and so on. But there certainly are occasions where I, I kind of look at the name on the door and I look at the annual report and I look at the name of the door and I'm wondering, is this the same organization that I've been you know talking with for the last three months, four months? Because when you take a peek behind the curtain, a little bit uh, you know of, of um, uh, Toto and, and the Wizard of Oz there, when you take a look behind Behind the curtain, quite often um, the posturing and the micromanagement and so on can be not just uh, a stark contrast to what they purport, but it's actually debilitating them in their business. So, what I tend to do in those situations, and it's getting back to the conversation I had about my my friend Mike uh, on the bank, is I try to get as much at least initially, and then I maintain it over time. I try to get some individual time with each one of these executives and. I have to tell you, Jonathan, I, I've been in closed door meetings with with executives from across multiple industries and, and over many, many years. And it's interesting to me how when a door is closed and you really offer a message of truth and confidentiality, where an executive, a senior manager can say to you, 
basically whatever is going through their mind. Like they don't want to say it to HR. They don't want to, they don't want to, you know, be known for kind of putting out a story or whatever. But when you get them behind a closed door and you, you know, you've signed off and you've told them everything is confidential, et cetera. And your behavior leading up to that meeting has demonstrated that I'm never shocked, but I'm always pleasantly surprised at how much uh, a person will reveal about their organization, about their role, about their, their colleagues and who's in their, in their opinion and their mind is causing them grief and problems and who they can look to for sage advice and, and support them. And, and it's really someone describing the politics of their organization. And politics, of course, are driven by humans and humans have opinions. And sometimes those opinions are well-informed and sometimes they're not. Um, you know, it, it's about trying to, to seek the truth and speak the truth. And sometimes, you know, there's a often, not sometimes, often there's a real transition of discomfort as they go through this process. But when they they realize that you you're not there to waste their time, you really want to make a meaningful change. We've defined what the change will look like, what the journey is going to be to get there. Um, you know, how can we do this together? Yeah, yeah, I love that. Reminds me. Uh... What, one interview technique I've heard with uh, podcast hosts is they like to uh, sometimes take their guests out f- if out for drinks and get them completely lathered so they can find out all their all all the things they're really thinking about you know and all their interesting opinions and so on. Not sure that's necessarily applicable in a, in a business context. I think what you just described is probably a better way of going on about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's safer for many many reasons. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and Gary, I wanted to ask you, so you, you mentioned to me earlier that you have a business con- continuity assessment uh, that you put together. I'd love to hear, you know, how you came up with it, who it's who it's intended for, who you, who you had in mind when you built it. Um, can you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, we realize that in most organizations, uh, and especially in current times, Given the impacts to workforce and headcount and and uh, disengagement or engagement, depending on how you look at it, that it's it's often it's great to have a strategy, but when strategy meets reality, uh, operations and tactical, that's usually when the strategy starts to fall apart. Mm. Um, and so, I've found that that if we can help an organization understand what their current business continuity are is it, based on 20 different questions. And we, we categorize those questions into clusters. Um, if they can get it, and it's not, it's not intended to be, you know, a thousand questions and take days and weeks and months. This is about 30 minutes at most, but it's, it's to give them an appreciation. Are there particular areas within their organization that affect or may impact their business continuity, and should they be looking at this prior to contemplating taking on another project? If if you've got too many projects going all at the same time, it's it's like adding too many ingredients into a baking recipe. You, you really you're starting to get away from what the intended outcome is, and what happens over time is that effectively most of the prog- projects in a larger program will start to suffer. 
So if we can use a, a business continuity risk assessment to highlight some of the areas that an organization is currently facing, and then we can talk about them in the context of yet another change they're contemplating, it helps them. I wouldn't say it's a go, no go, but it helps offer up uh, and flesh out a whole new series of potential protagonists that could either be responsible for a new project failing or impacting their business continuity that may affect, let's say, market share or the customer experience, or uh, it could be a brand, it could be a variety of different things. So it's not always just numbers. I mean, numbers are important. Without numbers, we have nothing. But, you know, Mintzberg said, if you torture the numbers enough, they'll confess to anything. So there, there has to be a reasonable uh, balance between how you use numbers and how you use your people skills. And I found that by addressing something like business continuity risk, it gives the client an appreciation for, you know, if we engage in this project, what's the probability that the success of the project will contribute to whether it's better sales, revenue, profitability, whatever it is. Or on the other hand, uh, is there a potential that by engaging in this particular project at this particular time, it might be a great project, but it might be better to defer it for six months or something, just as an example. Uh, so business continuity, it's hard enough right now, given the current uh, geopolitical situations, you know, everyone, every business is always trying to grow, 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 grow. They want to scale, hyperscale, whatever words people want to use. But the fact of the matter is, given this uncertain world we're in right now, one of the hardest things most organizations are facing is just hanging on to the revenue they have, hanging on to their market share, hanging on to their customers, because there are so many distractions and people are affected right at the human level, at a family, you know, individual level, uh, that sometimes the things that drive their decisions may not be business related at all, but yet may have an impact on their business. So by establishing a, a business continuity risk assessment, uh, we're able to at least highlight some of those potential issues. Yeah, I love that. It sounds like a great tool to have some more sort of clarity and foresight around potential issues for sure. Um, so where can people find that if they're interested in, in checking it out? Oh, reach out to me. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn easily. Um, uh, also, if, you, if someone wanted to contact us at info, at AIinc.cloud. And we also have a 1-800 number, 1-800-627-4151. Just inquire about the business continuity risk assessment. Uh, It's something that we can email out. We get the results back. Uh, We basically take a look at scoring it, and then we offer the score in in about a 30-minute debrief uh, to the clients, uh, just basically helping them understand uh, where the pitfalls may be and where the opportunities may be as well. Fantastic. Um, well, thanks for sharing that with us, Gary. Um, do you want to also just let people know, well, obviously, LinkedIn is the, you've mentioned your LinkedIn. Um, is there anywhere else uh, people should find out more about your work that you haven't mentioned so far? Or is or is that pretty good? Well, on our website, uh, AIINC.cloud, uh, we also have bios. Um, but in addition to that, we have um, a, a different uh, speaker one sheets and so on on topics that we, we do talk about and some of the events that we've been at and so on. And uh, of course, we'll be posting your podcast on there as well so people can find another avenue with which to listen. Uh, but for, frankly, for me, uh, LinkedIn, I do, I've been published in a Harvard journal and a few things like that, but uh, most of that is contained within my LinkedIn profile. Fantastic. Well, Gary, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for 
um, you know, sharing your insights with us today and a uh, pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Jonathan. That's all for this episode. And if you want to follow the podcast on social media, we're on all the platforms. So if you just search for Leaders of Consulting or our handle Leaders of C on your social media platform of choice, that includes Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook, you'll find us there.